Are you trying to build a brand that stands the test of time and creates a positive impact in the world? In today's episode, we're joined by Rachel Cross, and she explains how to build your brand by developing your internal culture with a combination of authenticity and purpose that builds trust in your audience. Welcome to the Unified Brand Podcast, brought to you by Elements Brand Management, a weekly brand building and brand strategy podcast to help you unlock your brand's potential, stand out from the competition, and create impact. So today we're joined by Rachel Cross, globally accomplished marketer, career strategist, writer, speaker, and the chief business sherpa of the Rachel K Group, a boutique marketing consulting firm specializing in launching brands developing world-class marketing communications, and helping creative professionals start the solopreneur business they've always dreamed of. Great to have you on the Unified Brand, Rachel. It'd be good to find out a little bit more about you, the Rachel K Group, and how you started your journey into marketing. Yeah, Chris, thank you so much for having me on. Rachel K Group started really as a response to what was happening in my corporate career. So after university, I, in a lot of ways, fell into a career in marketing. I had graduated with a degree in psychology, mainly social psychology, so the study of group behavior, and that lent itself well to marketing as, you know, marketing is really about trying to persuade people in groups. So I started in corporate America, working for big tech companies, and after about 12 years of that, the company that I was working for decided to shut its doors. But a year before it shut its doors, I had been growing disillusioned with some of the politics happening at work and also even just the products that I was being forced to market, I didn't necessarily believe in, which felt really dissonant, right? Like I wouldn't tell you as my friend to purchase this product that I was marketing. That felt really disjointed in my essence. And then I had this opportunity when the company shut down to launch my own marketing consulting firm and decided to go for it, something I'd been dreaming about for about a year. Wow. Yeah, that's really interesting. So the idea of psychology and marketing really sort of, yeah, interests me. I think the listeners would like to find out a little bit more about that. The idea of group behavior and how psychology can help influence that. So what are some things that sort of really stood out for you when studying psychology that you could bring to the table in marketing? One really prominent thing, and we see this played out even more so now with the emergence of the internet of everything and especially social media, but the influence that our peers have on us. So one of the still the best marketing tactic is to have someone refer you to something, someone that you trust. And so that influence is something that is really a deep psychological construct of us having trust in someone or admiration for someone, and then really respecting what they say and taking what they say as something that should be listened to. So I think influencer marketing, which is one of the big things right now, is definitely built on some of those basic psychological principles. Definitely. So building trust is sort of core to developing that brand and building that brand that people can relate to. Yeah, so I definitely see the, the value of that and it's, yeah, the importance of it. So what are some of the things that you can do or that you have done to build trust with your audience? Obviously, influencer marketing is one thing, but are there some other things that you can do with regards to, say, maybe even messaging or testimonials that you can do that builds that trust? Yeah, I mean, at its core, I think brands have to really take a look inside at their culture because if they don't have a healthy, authentic culture where they're actually valuing their own employees and really believing in the work that they're doing, and more and more, I believe, having positive impact on the world, then it's really hard to convey any kind of 
authentic trust building to external audiences. So trust and brand building starts internally at the culture level. And that is from the CEO down to, you know, the lowest rung intern. So I think that for brands to understand how to build trust with their audiences, it has to start first really with themselves, making sure they have clearly stated values, that their employees know what those values are and that they actually have operationalized them in a way. In other words, if they have a value of fun, then how are they supporting that with activities and behavior? How are they encouraging that throughout every level of their organization? So that's number one, I think, when it comes to trust. But the other thing is then to do what you say, right? So if I tell you I have this product and it does X and it's going to make your life better because of Y, then it really needs to deliver on that. And so, I, you know, more and more, we have so much choice now as consumers. So brands have to really step up their game when it comes to quality and more and more research is showing that people also want to buy from brands that really are making a positive impact on the world, like I mentioned before. So having a socially conscious brand is very important these days as well. Definitely. Yeah, 100% agree. I think that having a brand that is authentic, but is also adding something back is socially conscious, like you said, has a brand purpose that is beyond themselves, has something that they're striving to achieve. I think it's really important. And like you said, it builds that trust in the consumer and allows them to connect with a brand on a level that can't be replicated by, say, another brand just down the road. It's not about price. It's not about similar features and benefits. It's more about this something slightly deeper. And I think, yeah, I think you're totally right. That's the level we're trying to get to, isn't it, with brand building, especially now? Yeah, absolutely. And I see this growing more and more over time. And maybe, you know, 50 years ago, you could have a brand and your whole purpose of the brand was just to make money. But now you have to have a stated purpose beyond making money. And consumers more and more, I think, resonate with that. And consumers are willing to pay a slightly higher price if they believe they're, you know, the brand that they're trusting that, again, the product excellence has to be there or the service excellence. But if you're comparing similar level quality, then you're going to choose the brand that has aligned values to your own. Yeah, I think there's a recent stat about that that says something like 60% of consumers will buy from a brand that they share values with and they feel connected to. And I yeah, truly believe if you have those values set and like you said, you're implementing them into something that you do and it, it feeds into the product and the quality is there in the product, then you have something that can't be replicated. It can't be, it's a defensible position to have that kind That's of right. that brand built. It's unique, it's differentiated and it's your own thing as opposed to one of the things that you see a lot of, which is really a big no-no is when people copy the competition for just some reason, you know, they like take the competition, they take the messaging or the imagery or something like that and just transpose it over to their brand. And it really does just lose that differentiation, that uniqueness. It doesn't work at all. Yeah. And I think some consumers can get fooled by that. But again, I think we're so savvy today and we have so yes. many ways of disseminating information. So I have a client, for example, it's a nonprofit that we had very clear messaging. It was a nonprofit um, race, 5K and a half marathon. And it was interesting because it, it truly is a nonprofit in that all net proceeds went to community service projects and, and other charitable organizations. And a lot of these races, um, especially here in the States anyways, they'll say benefiting, for example, you know, the Leukemia Society. But the way they benefit the Leukemia Society is that runners have to pay extra. 
to donate to that cause. So they're not actually nonprofits. And so we saw other races who weren't purely nonprofits mimicking some of our messaging. But you know, when runners then researched and boiled down to it, they realized, oh, I have to donate extra for this money to be donated to this cause versus actually all of the proceeds be going to the cause and this race being led by a volunteer team. So I think, again, because of the research and the way we're able to access information and then spread information, which is both good and bad, right? It's a tool, so it can be abused as well. But I think a lot of people are savvy enough to do the research and get to the heart and the truth of if a brand is being authentic or not. Yeah, definitely. I think that's, that's really, it's, it's quite sad to hear that someone's actually done that. You know, it's bad enough when a brand almost copies. Sometimes it's done just through thinking they're doing a similar thing and doing something similar, but to actually copy something, especially a nonprofit, that's not good at all. It's really underhanded and it's definitely something to steer away from. I mean, um, yeah, I think that's a horrible, horrible thing to do for a brand. And so when you talk about the Rachel K Group and how it started and how you got into marketing and branding, how did that develop over time? So what was the kind of, from when you started from leaving uh, that position to now, what's kind of been the evolution of the business? Yeah. So I should also take a step back and say, part of why I wanted to stay in marketing. I was in marketing my whole 12-year corporate America career, but I asked myself this really powerful question that I'm sure you've heard, which is what would I do without fear of failure? And when I thought about it, I realized I still loved marketing. I loved that it was both right and left-brained. And that really speaks to how I'm built because I strange that I love like budgets and spreadsheets, but I also have a creative writing side and I play music and There's other things that really feed my right brain. And so that's why I loved marketing. And so when I started Rachel K Group, I knew I wanted to still focus on marketing in addition to that being my main education and experience. And so as I launched, I started really focusing on the areas that I had experience in already, which a lot of that was brand strategy, advertising, and marketing communications. And so as I evolved, I realized there were lots of things. When I first launched, I did I did it all. I offered it all. I said, I'm going to do, I can do your marketing and your advertising and your branding and your writing and your PR and all of these things. And a lot of it I was doing myself. And as I've evolved, I've learned the things that I don't want to do and the things that I should outsource because there are people that are better and smarter at me than at those things. And it also takes, you know, longer So now I really, really hone in on brand strategy and marketing communication strategy, and I outsource a lot of the other things, even, you know, whether it's copywriting or web programming or graphic designing, um, PR, all of those things. Now I have a lot of teams of whether it's agencies or freelancers and network that I reach out to for various projects. Same here. And it's that... um... That evolution where you start to realize, okay, where am I best suited to spend my time? Where it's good for me to use that time to get the best out of my time, but also for the client or the particular project or what you're working on. You know, you focus on the bits that are your strength and then the rest can be outsourced to those different people. So from that point of view, what have you seen shifting in like branding and marketing communications and strategy? What are some of the things you're seeing now that have kind of changed over the last sort of three or four years? Yeah, I think more and more e-commerce is becoming such a big shift as how companies have to distribute services, whether that's products and actually, you know, having e-commerce as a main platform versus a brick and mortar store. But also even if you think about services now, the pandemic has really 
I think catalyzed a lot of growth in this area. So think about things like telehealth and telemedicine and how we're now receiving, we're getting used to receiving services over Zoom. Yeah. And we're used to buying products online. And I think from a marketing branding point of view, it's now more important than ever to be really clear on the story of who you are, because I can go to a website, I wanna see a video or read a story about how you started. I wanna understand your values. If you have some kind of socially you know, conscious, responsible thing that you're proud of and that you are dedicated to, I wanna know about that. And it's a little bit different than maybe walking into a store. Maybe I could have seen a poster that said, we support the environment, but now I want it to be front and center digitally in your presence. So I think brands have to be really clear. And also at the same time, we have a shorter attention span than ever. And so when it comes to branding and marketing, we also have, you know, I think it's about three seconds to capture someone's attention when they first come to your website. So being really clear really quickly is one of the things that's really important now. In addition to that, I think the growing social media just continues to grow in its influence and the way that not only brands are using it, but again, that influencer ambassador way that your customers and your brand loyalists are spreading information about your new brand or sorry, new products or services. Yeah. And I think I was talking to someone today actually about, about this idea that you're saying there where you have to, it's almost like building an experience now on a website. It always has kind of had that approach, but it's almost as if you imagine walking into the store is now the website. There's a bit more of an experiential side of it. Yeah. And you're kind of getting across the values. And like you said, you're trying to get that experience onto that site so people can still feel as though they are connected to that brick and mortar store or whatever the brand is. And that messaging as well, like you said, three seconds, it's so hard to do. People think that saying something simply or doing something simply is like an easy thing. It's actually the hardest thing is to be simple and get to the point quickly enough, you know, to get to that core really quickly. And I think that's a real skill. Yeah. I do brand workshops with clients. And I mean, these are, you know, over the course of days and weeks working with executive teams to try to narrow it down to one idea. And a lot of times different people in the room have different ideas about what that one idea will be. So it takes some while to build consensus. But if you can do that in the beginning of when your brand is forming and then do that exercise every few years as your brand evolves, then it's going to be really important to still that idea versus coming up with a you know catchy tagline or you know just a, a pithy headline because sometimes we try to be too clever too, I think, in marketing. And really at the end of the day, simplicity wins because we have as consumers so many messages being thrown at us each day that we want something simple that we can understand right away. Yeah, there's that, there's that idea of um, it takes a lot more, it actually takes more calories to understand something, a complex marketing statement. It takes more calories to do that. You want something, like you said, that's simple, straight to the point. And those workshops, they are amazing. We do the workshop, brand workshops here. And when you're doing that and you have those people that have different points of view from the different teams, it's normally like interdepartmental as well. You've got different departments and they've all got different points of view about what the brand is, what it stands right. for, where it's going. And that's a real, it's almost sometimes like you're having this intervention moment where it comes to a head and there's kind of this, you know, butting of heads and it's sort of, and then it ends up being when the resolution happens, there's like a calm that comes over and it is, and it's that simplicity then it's clarity, isn't it? It's that focus that really kicks in. 
Yeah, I love that. I've never thought of it as uh, being an intervention, but I think you're absolutely right. I know in, in some of the workshops too, and exactly what you said, there's this almost like exhale when you come to that, you know, final thing and consensus. And I always want to make sure it's something that all of, you know, whether it's department heads or the executive leadership team that everyone can rally around and get behind because then it's their job to disseminate that and make sure their teams also are buying into that and embracing that again, as a cultural shift of like, Hey, this at our core is who we are. And it's really simple. And here's how we're going to operate and make sure this is how we live out, you know, this principle in our every single day-to-day work lives and in our every touch point of our experience with our consumers. Yeah, and that's it. It's like that that taking ownership, isn't it, of those different stakeholders in that particular company, taking ownership of the kind of the work you've done on the workshop and then, like you said, filtering that through to the, the whole organization. And so when you see and you do things like that, how are some of the things that you do to put that in place so that you can kind of keep that culture on track? Because that's one of the things that is a difficult thing to do, isn't it, over time where it kind of drifts again. So what are some of the things you do to make sure that it stays on track with that? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great point. I think you can't do these exercises and get this clarity at only the top level and then expect, even expect, honestly, those leaders to have that trickle down to their teams, you have to be intentional. And so for me, when I work with clients and we do, for example, a brand culture workshop, there are weeks of different activities we're doing to make sure that employees, again, down to the you know lowest level are all understanding and embracing that. So we'll do things like, I call them culture tables, where we're actually having kind of sit down round table workshops where they're not only just it's not a lecture where they're having, you know, let's say it's values of the culture or, or the new brand promise told to them. They actually get to discuss it with different team leaders at different tables. We do definitely big, you know, brand internal brand launch events where we're also making sure whether it's a poster or a button or something that every employee has something that they can take away and embrace with this new language, mantra, brand promise, you know, it depends on the company. And then also, for example, making sure that the culture is something that's now embedded as a in the life cycle of the company. So whether it's a quarterly meeting to discuss culture, or I have one client, for example, who really embraced failure as a growth point in their culture. And I loved that. And so we started Friday failure days where you had to like stand up and actually say like people got to stand up in their different teams. It was in small team settings. It wasn't in front of the whole company, but got to say like, this is how I failed this week and this is what I learned from it. And it created a really open, vulnerable culture that then lead to, I believe led to more creativity and innovation. And it was fun to see that, how that affected people because it kind of took the weight off of trying to be perfect all the time and not, you know, admitting when you made a mistake because, you know, we're all going to fail at some point. And so having that small exercise and it was every Friday and everyone just shared one thing, you know, again, in, in small team settings. So things like that are some of the ways that I work with organizations to make sure that the brand is you know, does trickle down to all of the levels and also making sure that employees have some skin in the game. So when it comes to things like the values of the brand, it's not just an executive leadership team defining those. We actually bring in cross-functional teams to workshop the values as well and how to operationalize them. 
That's so cool. I love the idea of, yeah, failure Fridays. That's something that I think more companies could definitely take on board. That sounds so cool to have that, that vulnerability, like you said, that openness to be able to, yeah, just celebrate the fact that not everything's perfect and you can just sort of get that out and get it out in the open. I think, yeah, definitely. And from creativity and innovation point of view, you're right. Cause in order to be creative and innovative, you have to take a leap, you have to take a jump. And if you're too scared to fail, you're never going to take that jump. So I think that's a brilliant idea. I think it's really cool. I like the round table. I think the round table sort of discussions you were talking about, that's really cool as well. Like it sounds really good. So switching from the Rachel K group, from the sort of the marketing and the branding side of things, you also help creative professionals to build their business. So I wondered if you could sort of explain that a little bit more and explain how that sort of almost ties into the marketing and branding side of things. Yeah. So, you know, as I launched this business, Rachel K Group, it was about 10 years ago. And when I first started, there was no clear roadmap of how to launch your own business. Like there were lots of courses about marketing your business and getting clients, but what about just starting the business from scratch? And so I read a lot of books. I bought coffee for, you know, like 10 people who I knew had started their own business and picked their brain, but there wasn't a clear one, two, three path. And last year I was just thinking about, you know, different other ways that I'm wired besides marketing left and right brain marriage. And one of the things is I'm a people developer. So I've always mentored people. I've even in the 10 years that I've been in um, having my own business, I've had lots of people come to me and say, Hey, can you help me? I have this question about my business. And so I'd say informally business coaching people for a while and realized, gosh, there really is a clear way though, that you could launch your business as far as the basics of, you know, whether it's picking what type of entity structure you are to your name, to figuring out some of the accounting backend, you know, things that you need to set up your business, understanding startup costs and ongoing expenses and all of that. Again, there was no clear roadmap. And so last year I launched a program to help people who wanted to transition, whether it was, you know, from a full-time job or they just wanted to start a side hustle, but wanted to do it right. And I call it the Freedom Freelance Program. And it's been really fun to help people, again, make that transition. And for a lot of people, it's launching a side hustle while they still have a full-time job. And then some of them have now transitioned that side hustle to their full-time freelance jobs. Pretty cool. It must be really rewarding as well. I mean, I did a similar thing. I was working alongside a job and then it's kind of almost like building the parachute as I jumped kind of thing and took the leap and then kind of like, you know, just like you said, there wasn't much about to kind of give you that guidance. So I think a program like that is really good because there's so many people out there that have the talent, they have the ambition and they have the knowledge to be able to do that sort of thing. They just don't know how to start. So I think that's a really cool process and project to go down. And um, yeah, so I was thinking about that idea of a career strategist. So how does that sort of build into that process? So what is that kind of a follow on from the starting of the business, helping them start the business and then the strategist kind of kicks in to build out that plan? Is that how that works? Yeah, I actually think of it as career strategy from the very beginning. So the very beginning, the first thing that we do in the program is make sure that we get really clear on the life vision that that person has, their spiritual vision. I call it your soul boomerang. So. When you think about the flight of a boomerang, right? You have an origin point and then you launch it into the air and then it circles around there and then it comes back to you. And I kind of think about our souls like that. Like we have this origin point. Maybe I believe we're born with a specific purpose to fulfill in, in the way we're supposed to impact the world. We travel around our lives and sometimes we can forget that. And then we spend a lot of time, hopefully then rebuilding that or getting back to that essence of who we are at our core. And so helping people um, get back to that, understanding their values, 
So just as it's important for organizations to understand their values, I think it's important for us as individuals and as entrepreneurs to get clear on that. And then also understanding our strengths. So I love the tool Strength Finder. I don't know if you're familiar with that um, from Gallup. It's an assessment tool and it helps you really clarify your top five strengths and then the idea that you should build on your strengths rather than focus on your weaknesses and turn your strengths into talents. And so I help people get really clear on those areas first, because I'm sure you've seen this with a lot of friends and maybe in your own life where we fall into some kind of job and then we retrofit our lives to fit that job. When really, I think we should be thinking about what kind of life we want and what kind of impact we want to have. And again, our values and strengths and then shaping a career around that. And so that's the number one first steps, I believe, in launching your own business. And that's how I approach it. So the strategy piece comes in really early. And then from there, we do some more strategy in building a business plan and making sure even some people are, well, now everyone's used to working from home, at least a little bit because of the pandemic. But before this year, people didn't know how to work from home, including me. When I first started working from home, which was 10 years ago, I would work till 9 or 10 p.m. And not really have good boundaries and not understand like when to turn it off and when to turn it on and how to you know create those boundaries with my clients and with myself. So we also go over some of those things, some productivity hacks, how to make sure you're moving throughout the day and not just sitting sedentary. I have a stand-up desk, for example. So that's one oh, of the yeah. ways I, I need do to it. need to get one of those, definitely. I've seen those and really wanted to yeah, get one of those. Cause I do. I just sit at the desk all day kind of thing, you know. You have to be really present in the fact that you need to get up and walk around and, you know, do do something else. Cause otherwise you will just sit and be stuck there. And I think what you said about taking what you want to do in life and your values and then building something around it as being because I kind of did that. I fell into into something and I have always had like a I've always been interested in design. And always been interested mm. in the other side of it, you know, the strategy side of it as well. But I didn't realize until I started getting into branding that you could merge the two, that you could, the two could come together with those two things. And it was a real revelation when I found branding and the marketing side of things, because it was using those two together. And I think it was, yeah, it's amazing when you find something like that, that you're suited to, your strengths are suited to, how it just feels right. I think it, it just feels right for you as, as an individual. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard this quote by Howard Thurman. He was a pretty much an old theologian like in the 1800s, but he said this, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Nice. Yeah, I like that. And I love that. That's how I think of it, right? Like we can actually, again, step into who we really are and how we're wired because we all come into this world wired in a unique way. Like You and I both said we both love our right and left brains, but some people might be one way or the other or both, but in a different expression of that. And we also, in just addition to our wiring and, you know, innate talents and gifts and the strengths that we get to have and then develop, I believe we also have a passion and burden for the world in specific ways. And so I know for me, I see so many people stuck in complacency and I think a lack of joy in their life. And a lot of that has to do with their career because we spend so much time working. You know, I did the math about a year ago and I, if you work 40 to 50 hours a week for about 40 years of your life for about 50 weeks a year. So in the States, right, we only take two weeks of vacation in Europe. You're a little bit better about your holidays. 
but that's 80,000 hours of your life. And that's really, it's a third of your entire life and half of your waking hours we spend working. And so I think no wonder there's so many people who are unhappy because they're unhappy in their jobs. They're not fulfilled. They don't find, you know, their purpose in it. And again, they've really just fallen into this thing and then tried to fit their life around it, where I think we had a lot of people who did a a little bit more soul searching in the beginning, which I think should be a factor of our education system. Then I think it'd be really cool to see what, you know, new careers and new opportunities people step into. I totally agree about the education system. I believe that I believe creativity as well should be taught a bit more as an actual a skill, you know, and not, not creativity in the sense that just artistic creativity or design, but creativity in problem solving, creative thinking and that kind of thing. I think it's a really crucial skill to have throughout life because it allows you to adapt to situations and change and, and see what's coming up and be able to change with the times. So I think, yeah, that'd be, you're right there. It should be really, you know, part of the education system to have that creative thinking, but also to sort of be taught and have those strengths lifted up no matter what the strength is, because I think sometimes that's the problem you're trying to, in, in our education system, I'm going on a bit of a tangent, sorry, but like uh, it's almost like you're trying to shoehorn people into a structure that not everyone fits into. And I think it's, it should be more about the individual and rather than that's as opposed right. to the structure. Yeah, and I think, you know, that made me think of something else is that I think we also uphold certain strengths as being superior to others where it's not that one strength is better than another, it's that we use them in different ways. And so if we were taught when we were young that the thing that makes you unique is actually wonderful and good and beautiful instead of you know, forcing us to conform to the thing, the five things that we all, you know, someone out there who knows who they are decided we're good, then I think it, we would also just have a lot more self-confidence and self-esteem and more opportunities, like I said, to step into those things to fulfill the thing that we really want to do. So what are some things that you would say to somebody who is maybe in a position that they're not fully happy with, they're thinking about changing career or, or looking for that passion? What are some things you would say to A, find the passion, how are they going to find that passion? And then secondly, what are some things they can do to start the process of developing that? Yeah. One, you're never too old to start. So I have a lot of people who come and say, well, I'm in my 40s or I'm in my 50s and it's too late for me. I already have this career and I want people to know it's never too old. In fact, there's lots of examples of people who started late, like Ray Kroc, who founded McDonald's. He didn't found McDonald's till he was 51. For example, that's just a small example. And there's tons of examples like that. J.R.R. Tolkien, right? I don't think he didn't write Lord of the Rings until he was in his 50s or 60s. And so there's lots of examples of people who are really successful later on, and it wasn't necessarily doing the thing they were doing before. That's number one, just that encouragement. But I think stepping into whether it's, you know, programs or there's so many resources now online to understand yourself better. So for example, Strength Finder is a tool you could take an assessment online, understand your strengths a little bit better. You can hire a strength coach to then go over those results. So as part of my program, I have a really good friend who's a certified Gallup strength coach. So people get 90 minutes with her to understand, okay, now I have this report. What does it mean? And how, what are some of the actions I can take to, you know, develop those strengths into into talents? There are I'm a big fan of certain assessments. So Strength Finder is one of them. Enneagram is another one. I don't know if you've ever heard of Enneagram. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of Enneagram. Yeah. 
what I love about it is it recognizes personality as dynamic and not as, you know, something that's stagnant. So when I'm healthy and I'm in a good place, I have certain motivations that show up in behavior. And when I'm unhealthy and stressed, I have different motivations that show up. And it's also based on motivation versus behavior. So there's tools like that. I think there's, I'm a big fan of just therapy also for self-awareness, self-development or life coaching. It depends on kind of, you know, what path you want to take. There's different benefits to both. And I think just starting with some of that reading, there's so many books too that I could recommend that are helpful. I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown, for example. And she's, I think, done a lot of work with courage and vulnerability and shame, but now really stepping into leadership and how do we lead ourselves and how do we lead others? So all of those resources in understanding yourself better is step number one. And then I think step number two is trying something. So you don't have to quit your job and try something, leave it all behind, but you can try something as a side hustle. See if you like it. For example, maybe I'm just making this up, but maybe you're an engineer and you really like creative writing and you think, well, I can't do that, but why don't you start writing on the side? Why don't you start a blog? Why don't you submit, you know, some articles to a paper or another blog or an online publication? And there's just small steps you can do. I tell people, if you take one small step every day towards doing something that you really love, by the end of the year, you'll have done 365 things towards that thing. So it doesn't have to be these big monumental changes in your life, but even taking those small steps will increase your confidence, will increase, I believe, the joy that you have in your life because you'll feel good about investing in yourself and working towards creating something that you really love. Yeah, definitely. Those, those small steps do add up. And I think you're right. If you can try something and you can see whether you like it and find out whether it fits with who you are, I think that's a really good way to start what you're doing. So with regards to uh, behavior, actually, I was thinking when you were talking then, so with behavior, you mentioned you play music and I, I do too. And I think maybe when you said about the right and left brain, I think maybe that's that again, isn't it in play, the right and the left brain working together. Yep. Are there some things that people can do in order to improve some of their sort of cognitive abilities around that kind of idea with creativity and business and things they can do to improve that from a psychological or behavioral point of view that you've sort of picked up on? So there's lots of, I'll say, brain enhancing exercises, right? I mean, they even show things like Sudoku, those puzzles, right? And crossword puzzles and different things that actually stretch your brain are really good for your brain. But now there's also things like Skillshare. So, you know, online platforms that have learning that you can go. And I believe when we're learning, we're also constantly using our brain in new and different ways because what happens is our brains get used to the things we do. So if you think about if you have to drive a certain route to drop your kids off at school every day, that becomes very rote and your brain actually will kind of turn off, right? And we've all experienced that because all of a sudden we'll get to the destination and we don't remember actually driving there. And so one thing people say, you know, for example, some psychologists say like, take a different route to work or school every day. And that'll actually force your brain into continuing to learn. And so there's lots of ways we can continue to learn. There's so many free YouTube videos. If you searched you know, like guitar is a perfect example, like guitar lessons. There are a million free guitar lessons on YouTube from some really talented people. But if your thing is 
computer programming, you know, more left brain. Like there are YouTube videos and courses online that you can take. And it doesn't have to be a big investment. But I know for me, I was gifted Masterclass. Have you heard of that? Yeah, platform? yeah, I've, I've seen that. I really want to yeah, give that a go. It looks really good. It's really cool. So I've been taking different classes. Like there was a class from the CEO of Starbucks, um, Howard Schultz on business and one from Sarah Blakely who founded Spanx on business. There's one from Carlos Santana on music. Nice, nice. There's, yeah, there's different cooking ones and gardening ones. And so for me, I do about 20 minutes a day of a masterclass video as just a lunchtime learning break. I also am just a learner and I love to learn. So in addition to the brain benefits, it's also just fun for me. Cool. Yeah. The only thing I saw on the masterclass that Gordon Ramsay does one, I think. And I just thought yep. if I took that class, he would just like shout at you the whole time. Just kind of. <laughs> he actually doesn't shout as much. Like I took one of the classes and it was about what knives you should have in your kitchen. Oh, nice. Uh, so yeah, there's lots of, you know, and masterclass, like I said, is a paid platform, which is really cool, but there's also lots of free resources. Don't let finances be a reason you don't keep learning. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's one of the things when you do that learning and like you said, at lunchtimes and things, or if you do any kind of learning, you get a sort of afterwards, a little bit of an inspirational. Yeah, afterwards, you feel inspired, you feel ready for something. It's like a refresh to the brain. It sounds strange, but yeah, you feel a lot better afterwards. So I was thinking from your point of view, what brands have you seen recently? And it could be a client, it could be someone you've worked with, but what brands have you seen recently that you're really kind of excited about, or you've seen some marketing they've done that has really captivated you and you've been yeah, inspired by? That's a great question. I have to admit, I don't consume a lot of media. I don't have cable TV and most of the shows I watch are commercial free on Netflix or Amazon Prime, but I've really enjoyed watching, I think across the board, innovation happen in different industries. So I have a client, for example, who they do team building for companies. They call it team connecting. But when the pandemic hit, they already had a virtual version of their team building, but it actually blew up because now all of a sudden companies were like, we have to do this virtually. So now he's been able to have clients all over the country, not just, we live in San Diego, California, so not just here. And so it's fun to see how he's innovated to make sure that the thing he was providing before in person would work and be just as fun and actually now be more accessible to more people because he's taken it to a Zoom platform. So the innovation has been fun. I think I'm also really impressed with the companies that are still doubling down on their values. And so I think about like Charity Water, for example, is a brand that I support and admire a lot for a lot of different reasons. And they're still committed to their goal and their mission, even in the face of a pandemic, and are still living out their values from what I can see, at least as a consumer from what I can see. And other organizations like Patagonia, who I really admire their commitment to the environment, for example. And similarly, like they didn't say like, oh, we have a pandemic now, we're not going to do the things we were called to do to support climate change or combat climate change, they're still doing those things. So I don't know if that answers your question, but those were some of the top things that came to mind. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, like you said, Patagonia, I mean, just amazing brand. And there's a brand that we support with my company, Elements Brand Management in the UK called Surfers Against Sewage. And it's a similar, what they do is their goal is to kind of, yeah, clean, clean up the oceans and clean up the beaches and stuff to make sure that, yeah, the oceans is just a safe place that we can all play in the oceans and enjoy the oceans for what they are. 
And they're a similar kind of thing. So they haven't stopped their values. They haven't stopped anything they're doing because of the pandemic. In fact, like you said, they've doubled down on it. And I think that's a really endearing quality. And on the flip side, like you said, those brands are having to pivot like online gyms and stuff like that to have to come up with new ideas and innovative ways to do things have really taken a lot of brands to task because they're having to innovate in that way in that new sort of situation. So what are some sort of core building blocks that potentially you would say to brands to think about now as a way to looking into 2021? What are some core sort of building blocks they can use to get themselves into this new normal? Yeah, I think this is a really good time to relook at some of those things like your values, your purpose, and your promise. And for a lot of companies, I think they're going to look at it and say, yes, this is spot on. We still believe in this. Now we might need to operationalize those things in a different way. Um, we need. Yeah. I, I've never heard the word pivot so much since the pandemic, but it's yes. a good word and it applies. So, you know, they're going to have to pivot in different ways, um, whether it's supporting a distributed remote workforce or, um, like I said, like taking their service or product online um, and not relying as much on brick and mortar. But I think for some companies, it's going to be a really great opportunity for them to maybe innovate and explore some of those values, promises, and purpose, because maybe it's shifted as a result of the pandemic and they've realized, okay, this thing that we thought we were doing isn't actually serving our customers the way we wanted it to, or they're telling us it's not the quality they expect. And so it's the time to relook at those things get clear on them in a new way, and then again, operationalize and make sure you're being authentic and aligned in the way you're delivering your services and products to those people that you want to become your brand ambassadors. Definitely. So in terms of the Rachel K group and what you're doing, what's your vision for the next year? What are your plans? What are you looking to do? Yeah, I'm really excited about some of this more brand culture building piece that I've been working on and working with clients on. And also I'm starting to help. There's a lot of companies that do executive coaching. So the C-level people, the chief marketing officers and the CEOs, they all get this executive coaching and it's really great for them. But I know when I was in corporate America, I was a middle manager, I was a senior manager, and we didn't have that kind of support. And so now I'm also starting to work with organizations to help support that middle management tier, especially in creative groups and marketing groups to make sure that they feel supported and invested in, that they can manage their teams well, because most of them also have employees under them. I think when you can support the health of a culture at every level of the organization, that's an organization that's going to thrive and survive in the long run, even through economic downturns, even through things like a pandemic. And we'll, again, be able to innovate more quickly and survive change with more resiliency. Thanks very much, uh, Rachel, for coming on the Unified Brand Podcast. It's been really, really good having you on here. And um, yeah, I'd like to find out more about the brand culture stuff that you've been doing. But where can our listeners find out more about you, more about the Rachel K Group and some of the stuff that you've been doing? Thanks, Chris. It's been so fun. And I love the name of your podcast, Unified Brand. And I feel like you and I are unified in the way we approach brand. So it's very fitting. People can find me at my website, rachelkgroup.com. I'm on LinkedIn at Rachel K. Croft, and I'm on Facebook at Rachel K. Group. So those are the best ways to get a hold of me. And I love hearing from people, whether it's related to brand or, like I said, launching their own business. I'm passionate about both of those things. So thanks again for having me. It's been a really fun conversation. 
Oh, no worries. No, it's been really good. And I really appreciate you coming on. And yeah, definitely. If anyone's thinking about launching a career and they're not too sure how to get started, then definitely go and go to rachelkgroup.com. I'll put all the details in the show notes and yeah, just, just head on over there and um, yeah, get started. So thanks again. It's been really good. Cheers, Rachel. Cheers. Have a great day. You too. We've just put together a weekly brand tip video series, which is designed to help you to unlock your brand's potential and stand out from the competition. And if you're interested, if you just go to elementsbrandmanagement, all one word, .co.uk forward slash weekly hyphen brand hyphen tips, sign up and you'll be delivered a three to five minute video a week straight to your inbox. I'll put a link in the show notes if you're interested. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to receive more, you can subscribe in all the usual places. We're talking iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Please, if you get a chance, rate and review. It helps the podcast to kind of get a bit more visibility and allows us to keep on producing these podcasts. Have a great week. Catch up soon. Keep those brands unified.